lot of publicity in the country lately, and why shouldn't they? Mass shootings are supposed to be about shocking the American conscience and getting people to believe that guns are the problem, not the people who are using them. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe to the show. You can do so in one of three easy ways. You can either go to the iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store and simply search out the Podbean app, which is our hosting service, and then search out the Jamie Dury Show podcast and subscribe that way. Or you can use your native podcast aggregator app in either of those two places and just search out the Jamie Dury Show directly. And you can subscribe that way. Either way you subscribe, you'll be able to leave reviews, uh, make comments, ask questions. And we strongly urge you to leave us some reviews and some positive comments, as this will help us to grow the show and enable us to serve you better. So we all know about the shooting in Texas a few weeks ago, where this madman went in and um, this horrific loss of life took place reminiscent of other mass shootings. Now, I am a big supporter. We're big supporters on this show of law enforcement. Uh, We are deeply indebted to the men and women of law enforcement and the job that they do and the safety they provide for us and our children uh, and the general citizenry at large, for that matter. But by the same token, when something is clearly wrong, uh, we have to call it out. Now, I understand all about tactics and the need for people to remain safe and do things safely, but the primary safety we're concerned with, uh, or should be the primary concern of law enforcement, is not the safety of themselves, but the safety of the public. Naturally, we want them to be as safe as possible when they engage in these uh, very high-risk activities, but their safety, by virtue of the oath they've chosen, to protect the citizenry citizenry and preserve the peace, has to take a back seat when the safety of the general public and children are at risk. Now, if you're called to the scene of a mass shooting, particularly at a school, and you arrive and you don't hear any shooting, I could see perhaps a justification in not running in. Perhaps the man is holding hostages. Perhaps he has a demand. He's not actively shooting anyone. Why precipitate him to begin shooting other people? Perhaps he ceased shooting. We don't know. Maybe he's turned the gun on himself. We don't know what's happening. But if there are no shooting uh, actively taking place, no shots being heard, it can be justified to wait. But when you arrive at the scene of an active shooter, when you've been summoned there because there's an active shooter, and you actually hear gunshots going off, you have to make the reasonable judgment that he's engaged in shooting more people. There is no justification at that point for waiting. And I have to say that if I were a police officer, even if I were ordered by my superiors not to go in, I would be the man on the scene. I would be the person who is in best position to judge what was going on. And if I heard shots as a father myself, I would have to rush the building, uh, the bosses be damned, because I'm not letting additional children and teachers being slaughtered for no reason. That apparently was done. There was a degree of hesitancy. And thank God for an off-duty Border Patrol agent who brought this man uh, to a swift termination by killing him. If not for him, 
who knows how many more children and teachers would have died there. Now, in response to this, the left says, and make that the Democratic Party, the Communist Democratic Party of the United States, wants more laws. Well, laws are violated by these people all the time. In many cases, in very few cases, are they carrying legal guns. These are either convicted felons, people with an extensive record, people who never should be legally entitled to own a gun anyway. Uh, And they have purchased these guns in violation of these laws. So the fact that laws exist does not guarantee that people are going to obey them. And you can have all the laws you want. These laws are violated every time there's a mass shooting. All these laws do is prevent lawful people from owning guns to defend themselves. As the saying used to go, locks are made for honest people. For most people, the laws keep us honest. For those who would be predisposed to violate the law, whether it's drug dealing, rape, robbery, larceny, all these laws do is have nothing in the way of a deterrent effect. They simply exist to fashion the appropriate punishment after the fact for people who have violated them. So let's understand how laws work and what the purpose is. And right away, the left shoots down any suggestion that perhaps we should have armed people in the schools because a good guy with a gun is the best way to defeat a bad guy with a gun. It doesn't depend on their obeyance uh, of laws. It just depends on somebody being there to shoot back. And in the alternative, if a teacher is a licensed pistol permit holder and they feel comfortable carrying a gun, as long as they're able to safeguard that gun, I don't see why they shouldn't be allowed to do it. Who knows what could happen? And people always say, no, no, it could never happen. It could never happen. Well, apparently it can. Because in Virginia, just last week, or a couple weeks ago, this is an article I'm reading in the uh, Truth About Guns. It also appears in the Law Abiding American. You don't see it in the mainstream media very much because they don't want you to know that these sort of things happen. But apparently in Charleston, Virginia, there was a potential mass shooting. Let me explain. Charleston Police Department Chief of Detectives Tony Hazlitt credited an unarmed Charleston concealed carry license holder with stopping the threat following a shooting Wednesday evening. Apparently, Dennis Butler had been speeding through an apartment complex with his vehicle where kids were playing. He was lectured about speeding through this apartment complex where these kids were playing and returned, parked his car, and began shooting at this gathering, which was a graduation party, which means there were children present. He began shooting at them with an AR-15. Now, an unnamed woman, she was the concealed carry permit, was among this group of 30 to 40 people. I'm reading directly from the article. She saw Butler in his back seat firing on the group, but instead of running, she engaged this man and killed him. Lieutenant Hazlitt said no charges would be filed against the woman, who he said was understandably very shaken up by the ordeal. Butler, on the other hand, had an extensive criminal history. As such, he was legally prohibited from owning, handling, or even carrying any firearm. Several times in yesterday's press conference, 
the chief of detectives credited that regular citizen who had a lawfully possessed and carried firearm with saving lives because she did not run, but instead chose to engage and take out the threat. Now, does anyone doubt that if someone is firing into a crowd of 30 or 40 people with an AR-15 or any other rifle or shotgun for that matter, that eventually someone is going to be hit and either seriously injured or killed? It seems very logical. So there's no question in my mind, and there should be no question in yours, that if it were not for this woman, who with a great deal of intestinal fortitude engaged this man and killed him, there would be a lot of dead children and perhaps a lot of dead parents in Charleston instead of one dead perp. So anyone who says that a good guy with a gun isn't the best defense against a bad guy with a gun, or a good, in this case, a good woman with a gun, I would disagree. Now, I'm not saying that teachers should be compelled to carry guns in school, but they should not be prevented from carrying them if they can pass appropriate competency courses and are willing to do so. I see no downside to it. But of course, certain other people do. Namely, an old bag that should have been retired a long time ago, a woman by the name of Randy Weingarten. Now, in case you don't know who Randy Weingarten is, she's an uber-leftist who also happens to be the head of the American Federation of Teachers. She's the president. Now, she weighed in against the idea of arming teachers, arguing that if teachers can't dictate what children learn at school, they can't be entrusted with guns either. Now, that's really comparing apples and oranges, but listen to the language she chose. She didn't say, arguing that if teachers can't determine what the curriculum is, that if teachers can't dictate what children learn at school, they can't be entrusted with guns either. Now, that's not a faux pas. That's not a slip of the tongue. That's the way she really feels. She thinks that teachers should be able to dictate to parents and children what is taught at school, not weigh in, give their opinion, help formulate the curriculum with the PTA. No, dictate what children learn at school. And she reacts harshly when people accuse the American Federation of Teachers at indoctrinating. She said teachers want to be teaching, not holstering firearms. We need fewer guns in schools, not more of them. We need to be armed with books, not bulletproof vests. The same folks who say we should carry a gun in the classroom, they are the ones saying they don't trust us to pick out the appropriate books and curriculum. Well, what does one have to do with the other? So I ask these politicians, if we have the judgment to shoot a bad guy, why don't we have the judgment to plan our own lessons? Well, I'll tell you why, Randy, old girl. Because most people, when they see someone with a gun trying to shoot not only the children in their classroom, but them themselves, uh, have a pretty good judgment. And that judgment is something born out of the natural need or the natural tendency towards self-preservation. You're getting attacked, you fight back. But in the calm of day, when there is no exigency, exigency going on, I distrust people like you to determine what my child has to learn. My son just graduated from middle school last week, and he made a point of telling me how they put on a dog and pony show to a certain degree by making sure the Pledge of Allegiance was recited. 
The problem is these kids never cite the Pledge of Allegiance. They don't it's recited every day like we did when we were kids. So why, why put on the facade and make an issue of it and recite the Pledge of Allegiance at the graduation? If you're not concerned with indoctrinating or instilling, rather, in children a respect for the country and the flag, the republic for which it stands, the people who died for it so that they could be free, why bother reciting it at graduation day? Try and create some illusion this was going on. But the same Randy Weingarten who says we're not indoctrinating. Back in April, Randy Weingarten denied the notion that some public school teachers are indoctrinating children with leftist views on issues like race and gender. She dismissed those who say otherwise as spreaders of propaganda and misinformation. We're not indoctrinating, we're grooming. This she said during an interview uh, in a podcast by Rick Smith. We're actually teaching honest history, trying to help our kids re- recover. Well, I guess honest history includes critical race theory because that all having been said, uh, the article here in the Epic Times has noted, and this is true, that the American Federation of Teachers has a record of defending the New York Times controversial 1619 project. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the 1619 Project, let me read this article to you from Wikipedia, which is not exactly considered a conservative source. Let me give you their take on it, unless you think afterwards that Randy Weingarten and her ilk are not indoctrinating our children with uber-leftist ideology. The 1619 Project, I'm reading directly from the Wikipedia page, is a long-form journalism Endeavor developed by Nicole Hannah Jones, writers from the New York Times and the New York Times Magazine, which aims to, quote, reframe the country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of the United States national narrative. The first publication stemming from the project was in the New York Times Magazine of August 2019 to commemorate the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the first enslaved Africans in the English colony of Virginia. These were also the first Africans in mainland British America, though Africans had been in other parts of North America since the 1500s. The project also developed an educational curriculum supported by the Pulitzer Center, later accompanied by a broadsheet article, live events, and a podcast. The project has sparked criticism and debate among prominent historians and political commentators. In a letter published in the New York Times itself in December of 2019, historians Gordon S. Wood, James M. McPherson, Sean Willens, Victoria E. Bynum, and James Oakes expressed strong reservations about the project and requested factual corrections, accusing the project's creators of putting ideology before historical understanding. The scholars denied the project's claim that slavery was essential to the beginning of the American Revolution as colonists wanted to project their right to own slaves. In response, Jake Silverstein, the editor of the New York Times Magazine, defended its accuracy and declined to issue corrections. In March 2020, after continued criticism of the project's portrayal, of the role of slavery, the Times issued a clarification 
modifying one of the passages on slavery's role that had sparked controversy. In September of 2020, controversy arose over when the Times updated the opening text of the project website to remove the phrase, understanding 1619 as our true founding, without accompanying editorial notes. Critics, including Brett Stevens of the Times, claimed the differences showed that the newspaper was backing away from some of the initiative's more controversial claims. This is something that conservatives and myself have talked about for a long time, including the late, great Rush Limbaugh. The left in this country wants to fundamentally not only change the country, but they want to convince you that its, its founding, its very founding was illegitimate and was all based on slavery and slave labor and that they're the real heroes of America. It has nothing to do with the founding fathers. Slavery is definitely a black mark in any country's history, but it is not the only part of American history. It is part of American history, but it is not the principal thing America should be known for. And for those people who are involved in critical race theory or revisionist history that somehow believe that all Western European civilization was somehow pirated from Egypt and that the people who inhabited early Egypt were black Americans, were not black Americans, but black people, uh, I just have this little thought for you to consider. If you really want to take ownership of Egyptian culture and say that it's really African culture, or it's uh, the founding of civilization was by Africans, then you also have to take ownership of the fact that Africans, not white Anglo-Saxon Protestants from England and other parts of Europe, were the first slave owners. Because the Africans, if that's what they were, who were the Egyptians, had enslaved the Hebrews and their tribes centuries before anyone knew what North America was. So you can't have it both ways. If you want to say that you were responsible for civilization because you were really the people who were Egyptians, then you were the first slave owners. If not, then you can't lay claim to having founded civilization. So decide which you want to be uh, before you go on further. Now let's get back to the illustrious Randy Weingarten. So getting back, I said the fact checkers at the Times uh, disagreed with the Times itself, and the AFT invited a man by the name of Ibram X. Kendi to speak at its biennial summit last July, during which the prominent critical race theory advocate told the audience that denying being racist means that the person is racist. So in other words, if someone accuses you of racist, uh, of racism, you're not even permitted to say, I- I'm not racist. Ah, you're denying you're racist? You're definitely racist. So you're racist, whether you like it or not. You're white, you're racist. Of course, someone who's black uh, can't be racist. That's what these critical race theory people believe. That They believe that since black people have no power, uh, then this, the, you, you can't be racist, because if you don't have power, you can't be racist. But do they have no power? Look, there's prejudice. I'm not going to deny that. I'll be the first person to admit there's prejudice. But there's prejudice on both sides. It's not something that white people alone have a monopoly on. You can see the disparate treatment among people who break the law when they're aligned with the left and the causes that they endorse as opposed to when they're aligned with causes on the right. Black Lives Matter and Tifa were allowed to pillage and plunder most red cities in this country with impunity and nothing happened to them. A large crowd of people who believe legitimately and more and more evidence is coming out to support this 
that the election of 2020, the presidential election, was stolen, went out to protest on January 6th. FBI agents were there, we know, uh, inciting the crowd, encouraging people to break into the Capitol. But what did they do? Nobody was armed with a gun. I've never heard of an insurrection where nobody was armed with a gun. The only shot fired was by that idiot lieutenant who shot a former U.S. military veteran, Ashley Babbitt, because she supposedly was trying to break in. I've said it before. The laws of deadly physical force are quite clear, even in this state of New York. You can use deadly physical force to prevent or terminate certain crimes, such as deadly physical force being used against yourself or a third person, burglary in the first degree, robbery in the first degree, arson in the first degree, rape in the first degree, sodomy in the first degree, kidnapping in the first degree. You can use deadly physical force to prevent or terminate any of these things. You can also use it to arrest people who are fleeing for murder, for manslaughter, for robbery, for rape, for sodomy. She was shot ostensibly to prevent or terminate something, but what she was doing did not qualify on any of those scores. How this man is allowed to walk the street and not be charged with a crime is beyond me. Any local New York cop or inner city cop who engaged in this sort of discharge of a firearm into a mass crowd like that will be drawn and quartered six ways to Sunday. And if you look at that video, as I've said before in this show, and you look at the throng of police officers that are around Ashley Babbitt within seconds of her being shot, it tells you that they weren't far away, that they were in the backdrop. This idiot fired into a crowd of people, the backdrop of which were fellow police officers, and he didn't give it a second thought. Don't hand me this nonsense that that was a justified shooting. That was the only act of violence there committed by him with a gun. Black Lives Matter and Antifa raped, pillaged, and plundered our biggest cities, burned them down, took control of police stations, and nothing was done. So don't tell me that you can't be racist if you're black because you have no power. You can be racist if you're black, and you certainly can be racist if you're white, and you can be racist if you're bad. You can be racist, period, regardless of your skin color. So let's all be fair about this. No one has a monopoly on racism. Certainly appears, though, as far as the media is concerned, that certain people have a monopoly on immunity. We're going to lay waste to everyone on January 6th. Why do you think the Democrats are concentrating on January 6th? Because they have no excuse, no explanation, nothing they can offer the American people except their abject failure in all areas since taking over the government, since taking over the White House. Gas is now $6.40 a gallon in California. Baby formula is short. Women can't find tampons. And the national average is over $5 a gallon. A little over a year ago, it was $2 a gallon. That's a great drag on the economy. It's crippling us. It's crashing markets. Our savings are dwindling. Because there's no interest, many seniors have been forced to invest in equities so that they can live off some appreciation of investment. If you're living off a half percent interest, you're going to be dipping into your principal. So in an effort to make their savings grow, absent 6, 10, 6, 7, 8% interest that they were enjoying in years past, they're investing in equities. And now the equities are plummeting. This is complete incompetence from Jump Street. But let's speak a little more about Randy Weingarten. 
Randy Weingarten and her opposite number in the NEA, which is the National Education Association, uh, they testified, that's would be Becky Pringle, in favor of gun control measures. But I've already told you in the beginning of the show, gun control measures don't work. They only control law-abiding citizens. They don't control people who don't care about the laws. Cocaine's illegal. It's all over the place. Robbing people is illegal. Happens all the time. Buying drugs is illegal. Happens all the time. Selling drugs is illegal. Happens all the time. Stealing cars is illegal. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. And what do you do, even if you could wipe out guns completely, and someone decided to walk into a school with unarmed teachers and unarmed security guards, and he decided to have a field day, and instead of working in the cane fields with a machete, he decides to start hacking people up. What are we going to do then? Outlaw machetes? We have a fascination in this country with inanimate objects. We have a studied neglect and a great disinterest in the people who are wielding these inanimate objects. This is the problem. People who come to the attention of law enforcement need to be arrested when they commit crimes and need to be appropriately punished so that they are in prison and not out committing crimes as career recidivists. This is the problem. This man had an extensive record in Texas. The man who was killed by that heroic woman in Virginia had an extensive criminal record. These people should not be among us. And they certainly shouldn't be having guns. But the law is not going to prevent them from having guns. Incarcerating them will prevent them from having guns. Appropriate levels of incarceration have to be part of the solution. Well, anyway, Randy Weingarten and Becky Pringle said, We cannot ask educators who enter this profession to help children soar to carry weapons and wear body armor while teaching addition or the Pythagorean theorem. It's already too late by the time by the time the armed attacker shows up at school. Well, it's already too late now because they're showing up to a population of sheep. But it wouldn't be too late if as soon as he shows up at school, he's met by a man or a woman with a gun and he's cut down before he gets started. So you only ask the children to soar, huh? We ask educators to enter the profession to help children soar. That may be true, Ms. Weingarten, Ms. Pringle. But we not, also did not ask educators to enter the profession to sit idly by and watch children die. I don't believe you have asked your members to sit idly by and be killed. It's time for you to wake up and smell the coffee. You've been around in the union as long as I can remember. You are a pathetic excuse for a union leader. You are a communist. You're not a leftist. You are a communist. I've heard you speak over the years. You speak of private education, private schools, parochial schools as unjustifiably taking away money in terms of subsidies that should go to the public schools. You have this belief that the public schools have an absolute right to control all education in this country and any money that goes to any other source other than a public school is Wrong, because you need to be the final arbiter of what children learn in this country. You need to be run out of town on a rail. You are a vindictive, bitter, 
old, and I'm sorry to say, an ugly woman. Why don't you do us all a favor? Punch your ticket and get lost. The world can do well without you. Just like the people in Congress think they're the only ones who can be in Congress, which is why they oppose term limits, you and Miss Pringle seem to think you're the only people who can be the president of the AFT and the NEA. You're both wrong. For the Jamie Dury Show, I'm Jamie Dury.